In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Well, this morning, for those of you who haven't been with us, we are continuing our winter series uh, focusing on the life of Moses as he leads the people from slavery in Egypt into the light of the promised land. So a few weeks ago, we, uh, we zoomed in on these newly freed slaves uh, rejoicing as they hastily made their way out of Egypt, um, taking that first leap of faith, stepping onto the moist soil of the Red Sea uh, with nothing more but a promise that God would somehow lead them into an unknown future. Last week, we sat with those same Hebrews in their camp as uh, their leader went up on the mountain for too long, finally bringing down two tablets, Ten Commandments, which we noted were an extension of God's promises to them rather than a condition of those promises. But it didn't take long, did it, uh, for their rejoicing to turn to complaining. The Bible has a word for that. It's called murmuring. It's one of those words that actually sounds like what it is. It's a great word, murmur. Uh, first, they murmured because they were scared to death that Moses had taken them out into the desert to be killed by the advancing Egyptian army. But God delivered them at the Red Sea. Then... In a story we don't actually have time to go into in our series, they got as far as the wilderness of Shur to a place called Mara, which in Hebrew literally means bitter. And there they complained bitterly about the sour taste of the water. But at Mara, God instituted this sort of divine water purification system, and the water became sweet so that they could drink it again. And then they set out to Elam, to a wilderness known as Sin, which is only slightly better than living in Hell, Michigan. Two and a half months now into the journey out of Egypt, and there they murmured about hunger. There wasn't enough Food. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord back in Egypt, they whined, when we sat with the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. Remember the good old days in Egypt when we had everything that we needed. Revisionist history, to say the least. But no, they taunted Moses. You had to bring us out to this God-forsaken place where there is no bread so that we will all die. Their memory, of course, like ours, sometimes a little selective. They never had it that good back in Egypt. The bread there was always a reward for their productivity. It was never really theirs. And always eaten with a certain amount of Fear and anxiety that it would be cut off. People in the death camps in World War II. People held captive in Vietnam. People taken hostage in the Middle East. They can all tell you 
about what food tastes like when you are being held against your will. It is no picnic. Really, if I had been Moses in the wilderness, I think at that point I would have lost it. All of this complaining. Worse than a bunch of senior highs who have their cell phones taken away for a limited period of time. If I had been God, I probably would have said, let's just find another people to save. Because <laughs> this is a thankless lot. But no. No, instead, God hears the complaints of Israel and says, I am going to rain bread from heaven, and every day you can go out and gather your fill of bread. In fact, on the sixth day, I'll give you a double portion so that you won't have to work on the Sabbath day. And I don't know, what comes to mind is these cubes of bread falling, you know, pumpernickel and sourdough, and of course the real stuff, wonder bread. It's like, like, like on Monday when it was just snowing and all the people are out there with their baskets gathering it like pennies from heaven. It does sort of stretch the imagination, right? I mean, and it couldn't have been like that. I mean, manna must have been some kind of rare substance, something that they could use to make bread, you know, something that formed in the morning like the dew on the ground, something that they gathered and mashed and then, of course, baked. In fact, Terry Freetheim, this Old Testament scholar, points to that explanation. He says that in the Sinai Peninsula, there is a type of plant lice which punctures the fruit of a tamarisk tree, and it excretes a substance from this juice, sort of a yellowish-white flake or ball. During the warmth of the day, it disintegrates, but it congeals when it gets down to a certain temperature. He says it has a sweet taste. It is rich in carbohydrates and sugar. Those of you on these carbohydrate diets, you can't eat this. It is gathered to this very day by the natives of that land who bake it into a bread, and they call it manna. What is this? Whether you like Terry's natural uh, explanation of the way manna is produced or whether you hold to a more supernatural idea, I would suggest to you the outcome is the same. God provides daily bread for the people on the way to the promised land. It's a miracle either way you slice it. Jesus put it this way after he performed the miracle of the 5,000, five loaves distributed among the troops. He said, it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down and gives life to the world. So every Sunday, in the best known Christian prayer ever written, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And it is our reminder that literally every day we are dependent on a God who gives us the sustenance and sustains our lives. My colleague John Walton uh, in New York uh, remembers a time when he was in the hospital having heart surgery. And uh, he remembers 
um, how grateful he was for that tray of food who would be, that would be delivered to his bedside. Um, it was hospital food, so of course it was uneven <laughs> in terms of its taste or um, in terms of the way it looked or how hot it was. But he said, I made a little promise to myself there in the hospital that from that time forward, for the rest of my life, I would always remember to say a prayer of thanks for the gift of daily food, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I would never miss giving thanks for the food of that day. To my shame, John acknowledged, I know that I have not kept that promise. Too often I have devoured a meal without saying thanks to anyone. You know how this works. The chicken comes off the grill, somehow right at the time that the baked potato is ready in the oven, somehow at the same time that the steamer is yielding the broccoli. It's a miracle that it all happens at the same time. And so you yell to whoever, it's ready. There's the scampering of feet and everyone winds up at the table and just launches in as if it were their due. And we give no thought whatsoever to the miracles of grace that have proceeded in sitting down at that table. Miracles like a rich earth that has produced a flowering plant that actually becomes a potato hidden in the ground. Or the wonder of a seed that somehow becomes a stalk that yields a broccoli or the labor of those who have harvested those blessings from the earth, often working out in the hot sun, many of them, yes, illegals, working for a minimal wage, or the rain that waters those plants, or the chicken that has given its life. Every meal we eat is a miracle and a sacrifice. And we sit down the healthiest and most well-nourished people on this earth, and we take it for granted. It should be enough to move us to prayer and to wonder that God would provide such gifts to us like babies always in need every day. Ernie Campbell, the uh, preaching minister at Riverside Church in New York for many years was fond of saying the hardest sermon of the year to preach is at Thanksgiving. You know, you stand up and you say, brothers and sisters, we ought to be more thankful for all that we have. And then you pause and you say it again. I say, more thankful. And by then you've used up 15 seconds and you have 14 minutes and 45 seconds left. It is arguably the greatest sin of our time, or certainly high on the list, the sin of entitlement. Not the controversial stuff that politicians argue about, aid to dependent children, Medicaid, but rather the idea we have that we are entitled as human beings to everything that we get. And the more we have, the more we think we are entitled to. That, truth be told, is the way it works. 
We have it in our heads that the fact that we went to a good school and that we earned this degree or that, that we landed this pretty decent paying job, that we live in a nice house in a pretty good neighborhood, these are things we are entitled to have. We have earned them. The perks in life just don't fall in your lap. After all, you have to go and get them. And we may forget that we always drink from wells that we did not dig. We may forget about parents, for example, who sacrificed for our sake so that we could go to that good school that opened doors for us. We forget that we were born with certain mental capacities to learn, that your health has seen you to this point in your life. We may forget the emotional security of feeling really reasonably good about ourselves. And those who don't will tell you what a gift that is. Or the good fortune of having been surrounded by loved ones who nurture and sustain us. And of course, you worked hard to get where you are in life. And of course, you should enjoy that. But none of us can afford to forget that every breath that we take, every beat of our hearts, every reasonable thought that we have is a gift. It is a miracle if you think about it, especially if you think about it. They got out there in the desert and they missed Egypt of all places. They murmured. They whined to Moses that he had jeopardized their welfare by taking them out to a place where there was not enough food and they would surely die. But God provided for them bread. One day at a time. Every day. Until they reached the promised land. Brothers and sisters... We ought to be more thankful. <laughs> I was remembering this week the old movie, The Milagro Beanfield War, uh, Robert Redford special. If you haven't seen it, the opening scene is this old adobe shack, ramshackle, barely standing. The windows have no screens, so the flies are coming in and out. Uh, a pig grunts out back, dust flies all around this dusty, dry New Mexico landscape. There is nothing here worth envying. As the camera comes into the shack, here is an old man, overweight, unshaven, his hair flying this way and that from sleeping in his rusty iron bed. Looks a lot like some of the guys on the retreat out at Howell this weekend. He is lying there in his dirty long johns. But as the older man awakens, stiff from arthritis, he groans as he gets out of bed painfully. He pulls up his suspenders. He goes over to the cloudy mirror hanging on the wall, looks himself in the eye and says, thank you, Lord, for giving me one more day. 
talking to a friend not long ago who is battling cancer. He's down to about 130 pounds. He's taking morphine for his pain. Hooked up to a nutrition bag that is somehow pouring calories into his body through a port in his stomach. His tongue sounds thick. He is fighting the good fight. Thanking God that he is making progress, as he put it. In other words, thank you, God, for giving me one more day. The truth is, every day, you and I are faced with these challenges. Some are major, some are minor. They're all over the map, really. Stresses at the office. We worry about our money. We worry about retirement. There are strains in our marriages and relationships with our loved ones. We've got kids that don't do what they're supposed to do. We've got parents who don't do what they should do. All of these dark shadows that sometimes cloud our perspective and that can keep us from seeing anything positive or good. I know. Believe me. I know. And yet, in spite of all of those anxieties and stresses in our lives, there is, as our story so eloquently puts it, there is a God who means for us good and who wants for us well and who provides for us daily bread in the form of life and breath and the gift of this very moment. Daily food in the sense of meal on our table and the strength to face every one of those challenges. And of course, the greatest blessing of all, the manna that comes down from heaven, is the gift that God gave us in himself, in this person that we call the bread of life. You know, the truth is the days are short in Michigan at this time of year. And the weather was brutal this week. And really, who likes to shovel? But even in these days, it would be a mistake to miss the beauty and the wonder around us. A good hot meal, or sitting by a warm fire, or curling up with a book, or an unexpected phone call from a friend, or a kid who lives someplace off and was just thinking about you, or a good night's sleep. When you've been on retreat, you really understand the value of a good night's sleep. <laughs> it's all manna from heaven, raining down on us every day if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. The best antidote I know to the murmuring that so often plagues us is a healthy dose of gratitude. It is none of it a right to which we are entitled, but a gift to be cherished. These, these are the gifts of God to the people of God. Amen.